Every day brings us closer. Closer to the moment when the next generation of NFL stars learn their destiny. And franchises try to lay the foundation for the next dynasty. With the first pick. This is First Draft. Now alongside NFL Draft Insiders Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, here's Chris Brown. The NFL Combine is nearly upon us. That'll start next week. Before that, thought it might be good get outside the teams a little bit here and talk with Mel and Todd, who are here on essentially stacking the board right now. Who's the best NFL draft prospect at every position as we go into the Combine? And could the Combine do anything to change that? Um Guys, it, you know, starting at the top, it, it, this is not considered a particularly special quarterback class, but there has to be a number one. Todd, right now, is that safely Mitch Trubisky? Let's try to agree on a number one at every spot here. I wouldn't say safely. I really wouldn't. I think, honestly, I think it's between three quarterbacks, and Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser are very much in the mix. I think it'll be interesting to get an exact measurement on Trubisky with his height. I think a lot of it will come down to the the teams at the top. Cleveland at one, San Fran at two, Chicago at three. When they spend personal individual time with these guys, do they fall in love with one of the players? Does one seem to fit what they want to do? Does one pick their scheme up faster? I I really think, by my personal opinion, there's not a huge difference. I think right now Trubisky based off of the small sample size, has probably played the best and has the best combination of, of NFL potential and, and what we've seen. But I think Deshaun Kaiser may have, and I hate the word, the upside, though, that you talk about. When you're just projecting to the next level, the size, the ability to shake off defenders, the strength. The He's not great in terms of quickness, but he can take off and run and pick up a first down. He he makes a lot of difficult throws under pressure, uh, but there was inconsistency. So you wonder how much of that had to do with what was going on in their locker room between he and the coaching staff and and all of those other things. But long story short, I think it won't surprise me at all. And I don't want to say it's 33% with each each of these guys, but I think it's a lot closer than that to that than uh, than people think at this point. Mel, is is Trubisky safely number one for you? Or you do you agree with Todd that uh, it could be it could be a mix and that he's no lock to be the first guy taken? Well, safely number one for me. I think what Todd's saying about the league is true. It's a split. It's a lot of you can't get a consensus being built on any of these quarterbacks. So forget that. It's not going to work. So if you talk to three people, you get three different opinions. So you really can't worry about that. You have to go with your individual opinion and what you think. And Trubisky to me would have an edge. Why? Because he's got the ability to move. He moves well. And for a big guy, he's tough. He can make any throw you need an NFL quarterback to make. Is he perfect? No. Is he finished? No. Did he have some bad, a couple bad games? Yes. We all saw the Stanford game. But I mean, the bottom line is, where will he be in three years? I think he'll be ahead of the game in three years where he needs to be. Where Watson, can he throw effectively enough from the pocket? You go back to the early part of the season, you weren't impressed. Late in the season, you were. Kaiser, I watched three times every week, as Todd knows, with Notre Dame. And I don't know how much you can excuse away because of the systems. I saw him holding the ball way too long. I saw a lot of things. 
ones I didn't like. I saw maybe a Jake Locker type who does have the physical and athletic ability, but maybe when he, once he gets into the NFL, not be any better than what you saw. That you just see signs that maybe if he's coached up, he could be. Yeah, but he's a roll of the dice. Watson is as well. You could say Trubisky is too, but I really believe had Mitch played another year at North Carolina, we wouldn't be having any debate. So that's the only thing I think you can hold against him when you project next year. Not where he is now, but where he would have been next year. I think he would have been better than Watson is right now and Kaiser is right now. So for that reason, I would give Trubisky the edge. Best running back in the draft. Is this clearly Leonard Fournette? Leonard Fournette's uh, title to lose Mel or is Cook right there? It's a different group of running backs. I mean, it's, I think McCaffrey is the most versatile. McCaffrey could be a dynamic presence for an offense in the return game as well. Cook gives you the game-breaking ability. Fournette gives you the power. Um, there's other guys out there as well. I don't think Fournette is a clear-cut guy, but I would give him a slight edge. But I don't put, think Fournette is a given to be Adrian Peterson. I don't think Cook is a given to be Jamal Charles. I do think McCaffrey would be the safest. If you know when to know what you're getting, you know what you're getting with Christian McCaffrey. He's going to be, in, this, in today's NFL, he's going to be a valuable weapon. So if I had to say who the number one guy is for me, it would still be Fournette by just slightly. Any way that changes before the draft, Todd? Well, it'll, it'll be interesting because I do think there's a, a smaller gap between Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook than, than maybe the, the public perception. And I think, you know, when you look at it, the Jets are a possibility. The Carolina Panthers are a possibility. I think both of those teams would, would favor a Fournette over a Dalvin Cook. But there are people in the league that I've talked to that think that Cook is just as good, if not better, and, and like the explosiveness. And like in, in today's NFL – feel a lot better about what you're getting as a pass catcher in the passing game than Fournette, who I do think improved this past year catching the ball, and it certainly was not a featured aspect of, of his game and LSU's game plan. Uh, but I, if you're talking just in terms of pass catching ability, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that Dalvin Cook is better in that regard, and I think a lot of teams are putting more and more stock in that because of how the game has changed. What about wide receiver, Mel? Is this Mike Williams, or can Corey Davis, or even a John Ross chase him down? Yeah, I like Corey Davis a lot. I think Mike Williams, for right now, until we see how he tests, see what the medical comes back, I get all that. Same thing medical on John Ross with the knee and then the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey Davis, uh, yeah, with to see what he does coming into this whole thing. We know he's fast. We expect certain things from these guys. Do they live up to it? Do they disappoint? Until the combine, it's really hard to say right now. I would give just the slightest edge to Mike Williams there. I think it's, it's a two-horse race. Could become a three-horse race. And a wild card in all this is kind of a jack-of-all-trades type, except in the return game where he doesn't factor in. But Curtis Samuel from Ohio State, you guys kind of is an asterisk guy. But um, I, I think right now, Williams slightly over Davis. It's interesting. The more tape I watch of Davis, the more, the more I like him, and the more I, it's the combine's going to be big. You know, not all positions is it that huge. I know Davis can't run, but what does Mike Williams run? And then when Davis does eventually run before the draft and his pro day or private workouts, whatever it winds up being, um, does he run a time that makes teams go back and say, "Hmm." Are we getting a little bit more in the vertical game? So it's going to be interesting. There's, I think it, it's kind of a, a theme here in the first three positions we've done, but I, 
I think teams are split more than uh, than people seem to believe at this point uh, between Corey Davis and Mike Williams for that number one spot. And I will say this, Todd and Chris, it's hard to make an assessment that you got to put a, a, a you know, buddy write it in pencil, not pen, because we haven't had. We don't know what I see under asterisk underclassmen. Underclassmen at every position are huge, and we don't even know what they are, how high, what how tall they are, what they weigh, how they're going to test athletically and speed wise. Uh, some of these guys have injuries, which means their pro day is going to be important. They may not do anything at the combine except a show up and interview and maybe they go through medical and that's it so until we get all the information in tack like this is a defined number one right now at those positions would be crazy to say there's no defined number one guy there there may be a couple other spots as we move forward here yeah. but it's still way too early when you have so many underclassmen each position factoring into the top 10 uh those kids are going to be key in terms of their workout numbers well, that's the idea, too. I want to get a sense of where we stand now and what could change come the combine. Todd, get us into the tight ends. O.J. Howard, you know, it's amazing, you know, if really even going back to the national championship last year when he popped versus Clemson, often uncovered, uh, small caveat there, but, yep. you know, we talked that's about true. his career often in disappointing tones. We'd say, I don't know if O.J. Howard can ever reach his potential. Hey, end of the day, it seems like, O.J. Howard's likely to go in the first round and, uh, you know, everything worked out. Is he still clearly the guy that has the best chance to hold on to this number one tight end spot? Or is David Njoku from Miami, you know, or even an Evan Ingram capable of chasing him down? I think he's pretty soundly at the number one spot. When you look at the size, you know, it's 6'5 and a half, 250 pounds. He ran the four six five last year in, in the spring, and you expect him to run in the four sixes, which is outstanding, especially for that frame. Big hands, long arms, has the ability to to get vertical, stretch the seam, and I thought he improved a lot over his career. He added twenty pounds. He became more physical and became just a better overall blocker. I'm not saying he's he's great, but he's become a, a functional blocker. I was watching tape on him recently and just sealing guys off in that zone blocking, getting down the field, throwing his body around a little bit. Uh, there's very few holes in O.J. Howard's game. I think he matured a little bit. There were some issues early in his career where people are saying out of Alabama, maybe he's not playing to his potential, as you were saying. But I, I think that that all changed the last couple of years. And to me, I, I hate the term safe, but when you look at a guy and – what are the potential downfalls and weaknesses? Durability hasn't been an issue. He can catch the ball consistently. He's got good intangibles. Production is there, and he showed up big in big games. So to me, I think O.J. Howard is, is kind of locked in there. I like Njoku a lot, but he's got to continue to develop and get stronger and become a better blocker. Mel, take us into this uh, scary land of tackles. Is there a clear number one here, and is this the one that could just get weird uh, between now and the end of April? Yeah, I think, I think Robinson from Alabama at those left tackle, we knew he wasn't going to be that in the NFL. He's a right tackle. Um, I think Ramchek from Wisconsin is still one of those guys you wait and see on the medical. I think Garrett Bowles from Utah may end up being the guy that people more solidify on as the top offensive tackle, the top left tackle. This is a horrible position in this draft. There's a lot of iffy guys. You thought Roderick Johnson from Florida State would be up there. He's too inconsistent to be in the elite group. He's a second-round guy. Some of these others are more versatile tackles and could kick inside than they are a left tackle. So I think right now, Garrett Bowles from Utah may just be the guy that come uh, April 27th is the first offensive tackle off the board. 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to come down to Bowles and and Ramchek, and both are you know interesting stories and the the paths that they took to get to where they are and junior college for Bowles and um, I think it was Division three right for mm-hmm. for Ramchek and transferring yeah. into Wisconsin. So just, kind of unique stories and how they got here. But when I look at Bowl, I think Ramchek's probably a little bit more complete, more filled out, a little bit more physical. I think Bowles is probably the better athlete, and it will have to continue to get bigger and stronger. But when an offensive line coaches get involved in this thing and, and look at Bowles and say, man, I, that's a lot to work with there athletically, I agree with Mel. There, there's a real good chance. I would say it's almost 50-50 now between Ramchek and Bowles, in my opinion. All right, Mel. The best guard slash center in wow. this draft. Is it Forrest Lamp? Who is it? Well, I think Dan Feeney from Indiana would be in the discussion. Ethan Pochick from LSU would be in the discussion. Um, you know, Lamp, uh, you know, certainly had a heck of a career. Uh, you know, of course, injured at Senior Bowl. I think arm length will be an issue with him. But I think Dan Feeney may end up being the guy, Todd, come draft day, April 27th and 28th. I don't think any of these guys are going on the 27th, which is Thursday, the first round. But I think when you get into second round, I think all three of those kids kind of figure in the discussion. I might give a slight edge to Feeney right now. I'll give an edge to Forrest Lamp from Western Kentucky. He wasn't able to play much, I think only one day at the Senior Bowl. be interesting to see him work out in, in his numbers. Left tackle, absolutely shut down the Alabama pass rushers. That was a great tape uh, for Forrest Lamp early in last season. And, uh, and it would have been good to see him against more top competition in the Senior Bowl, but I think at least you, you saw got to see that tape. And one dark horse name I'll throw out there is Antonio Garcia, from Troy, who could be viewed as a tackle, uh, but 6-6, continues to put on more weight, had a really good week at the Senior Bowl. I think a lot of teams are projecting him maybe inside at guard or possibly even center, same with Lamp. Um, and he's, he's a guy that is, I think is going to rise up the boards after he works out and after uh, teams get to spend more time evaluating him and, and coaches get involved as well because there's a lot of developmental potential there with Garcia. The Tennessee Titans. Well, we wanted to hit some of the top offensive players in the draft. We'll do defense next week. But uh, keeping things moving along here, the Tennessee Titans, we're going to be counting down. Last week we did the top four picks in the draft. We'll continue to hit uh, four every week uh, between now and really the end of April. Today uh, it's the Titans leading off because they're in the number five pick. By virtue of now what looks like a great trade they made last year, uh, where, they're, where they got an extra first-round pick. Todd, take us into the Titans' strategy um, in, terms of, in terms of what they could be thinking here. Obviously, we know there is a big need at cornerback. I've seen a guy like Marshawn Lattimore out of Ohio State put there. But this is also a team that's just gotten better, and maybe they're just thinking get the best player, period. Um, could it be a wide receiver? Could it be really interesting and be a guy like a Leonard Fournette? What are you thinking? I think I think you mentioned the positions. I think cornerback is one of the top spots, and I think Marshawn Lattimore makes a lot of sense if he's sitting there at number five and, and they don't decide to move. Now, is Corey Davis or Mike Williams worth picking at number five when there are other players on the board with the, you know, with the talent level that they have? And I, I think that would become a big question for Tennessee. Maybe you see them move back. You know, at that point, maybe a team 
maybe a quarterback falls past the, the first three, Cleveland, San Francisco, and Chicago all have quarterback needs and gets to number five and maybe a, a team behind them, like the, whether it's the Jets um, or even going down Buffalo at number 10. Can, we'll have to figure out what their situation is come draft time, but Will a team look to move up and can Tennessee take advantage one more time and move down? You move down to 10, get Mike Williams or Corey Davis and get an additional pick. It's a pretty good start. So I think those are probably the top scenarios for Tennessee. And, you know, wide receiver has been a a frustration for this organization, not the, you know, not the new regime. But I went back and looked in the last five years, they've had three picks in the first two rounds at wide receiver and they're still in a position where they really need. Oriel Green Beckham in uh, 2015 was a second-round pick. Justin Hunter, second-round pick in 13. And Kendall Wright was their first-round pick at number 20 overall in, in 2012. So it's not, they've not – you would think a team that spent three picks in the last five years in the first and second round and at one position would be set moving forward, and that's, it's not the case. So I think this new regime is having to kind of make up for the sins of the past regime and they're going to have to try to figure out that wide receiver position because you got to get Marcus Mariota weapons. Yeah, I would agree, Todd, on that. I think the tight end wide receiver spot, Tajay Sharp showed well as a later round pick uh, early on, tailed off a little bit mid and late, but they have something possibly there with him to maybe make up for some of those second rounders. As you mentioned, it didn't pan out. Um, they knew Doriel Greenbeck was risky when they drafted him, so they rolled the dice and it did not pan out. But I think the cornerback spot, watching Tennessee, I agree Mariota needs a weapon, no question about it, but you have two picks. So do you go with the first pick or the second pick? I mean, it's too rich for a wide receiver there. It's not too rich for Marshall. On Lattimore. So do you risk losing him by moving down? Is there much of a gap between Lattimore and Tredavious White from LSU at cornerback on, on the board of the team that's making that call, which is Tennessee? We don't know that. And then wait until maybe 18 to get. Is Corey Davis going to be there? Is Williams going to be there if he doesn't run well? Or do you even want him, okay, if he doesn't run well? Or do you want a tight end like O.J. Howard if he were there or Njoku to go with Delaney Walker? Uh, they have options, and they have to handle it right. I think That would be pretty good, Mel. That would be pretty interesting. That would be pretty interesting because Fasano's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Jason Morrow's not kind of what he was supposed right. to be coming out. I, I, that would be interesting to, to pair up an O.J. Howard with a Delaney Walker. And it's just a different way, kind of like the, what the Patriots had a, a few years back. Yeah, I just wonder, Todd, about the first pick, if they were able to get the tight end receiver with the pick number two, how they maneuver with pick number one early on, because right. Lattimore is a heck of a talent. And, yeah, but if they feel Tredavious White's close enough by moving out, even if we lose Marshawn Lattimore, you've got to believe the Jets will be looking at him at six. If we lose, are we okay losing him and getting a Tredavious White or a Sidney Jones or a Quincy, whoever, Wilson from Florida, whoever it may be, are they okay with that? Their grades are going to determine that. Uh, that's the answer uh, by the time we get to late April. And one thing to remember, Remember about the Titans before we jump ahead here is the Titans and John Robinson uh, came from the Patriots. You know, they were very adept, it seemed, last year at maneuvering on the board. They got, they moved down and then they jumped back up because they really wanted Jack Conklin. Jack Conklin was a home run pick, arguably one of the top two or three rookies, period, last year. Just played really well. So now they have bookend tackles. Um, but again, they've shown that they can move around and they'll have the chance to do it again this year. The New York Jets. Uh, where do we go? The New York Jets, two years ago, went very best player available when Leonard Williams was surprisingly there at six and hit an absolute home run. This last year, it's a bit big incomplete. You know, Darren Lee was arguably the best player available there, was a need. 
Uh, but, you know, we still got to see with him. And then, obviously, Christian Hackenberg, we just don't know um, what's going on there. After that, you know, pretty much question marks. Um, you know, Sharon Peak maybe played a little bit. But we just don't know really what the 2016 New York Jets draft story is going to hold. And, you know, obviously, T- Todd, you can kick this off. We don't know what... We don't know what's going to be a quarterback next year. Is it going to be Jay Cutler or is it going to be Mitch Trubisky? We don't really know. Um, is there a thought process here outside of best player available? Because, again, one other thing to consider, you know, Rich Samini, our Jets reporter, mentioned today, this could be a case, too, where Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker are both gone. I mean, there could be needs all over the place here. Yeah, wide receiver is clearly a need. Quarterback, big question mark. And, and will they be in a position at – number six, where they, they like a guy if they haven't dealt with it in free agency. Uh, cornerback is another need. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore, if he doesn't go five to Tennessee, he could wind up going six to, to the Jets and offensive line. I think tackle, guard, and center, they could find upgrades across the board at this point. So to me, this is a team with a lot of needs. There's a reason they're picking at six, and they were five and 11 a year ago. But nothing's more important this offseason, Mel, than getting that quarterback position figured out. And I, unfortunately, yeah, but I know they spent a fourth on Petty, Bryce Petty. I know they spent a second on Christian Hackenberg, but there's really no indication that either of those guys is, is anywhere close to being ready to be a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and the thing what they have to feel like, Todd, internally is we got to win, and we can't draft a quarterback for the next GM, for the next head coach. we gotta, we got to get this thing moving this year to solidify our positions. Hackenberg, was a, you needed to recreate what we saw as a freshman, try to put him all back together. Okay, They knew it would take some time. Why draft another young quarterback that's not yet a given? Uh, you know, Hackenberg, we don't know what he's going to become. So I don't know why. I don't even think you know, young quarterback at all here. It would have to be a veteran, whether it's Mike Glennon, whether it's a Romo, whoever it may be, Garoppolo, and they're going to do that within the division. So you eliminate Garoppolo and you go to Glennon, maybe. I think cornerback is, the, is a need, obviously a huge need. The wide receiver thing, definitely. The offensive line, they've got to fix before any of these other positions even matter. But I think for the Jets, I would not factor in any young quarterbacks for the Jets. I think they're a veteran all the way. Or a guy that's been in the league. Say, is Glennon a veteran? Yeah, I guess he is. But has he proven anything? No. But has he shown talent when he's played? Yes. They have to go back and see, hey, what did you think of him coming out of NC State? But I think Glennon or somebody like that would make a lot more sense than a young quarterback. You know, the draft has not treated them overly well when you go back and look i mean yeah they've hit in some spots but like d milner no longer with the team 2013 first round pick they hit you know, sheldon richardson but but geno smith is their uh was their third pick the seventh pick in the second round 2014 calvin Pryor, it was the the first pick yes but jason morrow's the second pick the tight end um with the 17th pick in the second round. So Leonard Williams, yes, but Devin Smith played four games last year. It's been a big surprise, a disappointment. I thought he was going to be a guy that could come in and, you know, he's got to stay healthy. He's only played 14 games in two years and and has just 10 catches. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the premier vertical receivers coming out of that 2015 class. So, and then you go back last year, we'll find out what what that class winds up being. Christian Hackenberg is going to take time to develop. And Darren Lee, I think, looks like he he showed flashes, I think, last year. When was the last time, Todd, they drafted an offensive player in the first round? 
Not in the last four years. Yeah, it's been a long time. So uh, this is all defense. You got to Mark Sheldon Richardson, Sanchez, Mel. Yeah, I Mark mean, I, it, it's way back, uh, way back. It's been all defense in the first round. Are they going to go back to the offense? You mentioned the offensive line needs. It's way too high for that. Probably too high for a wide receiver. I don't see them taking a a quarterback at that point. They have a couple of running backs, but do they look at Fournette if he's there? Uh, yeah, they have not drafted offense. It's been all defense, and this team's still picking you know sixth in the draft. Hey, and you know. Putting a cap on the Jets, I mean, Todd mentioned about 19 needs by my count. You know, if they do get the quarterback situation, I don't know if we can say solved, but at least they put some duct tape on it with a guy like Mike Lennon. This is another team that maybe should be looking to move down, add a couple picks, because they could use more scratch-off tickets given the state of the roster. The San Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, yes. Los Angeles. Los Angeles Chargers. When they were in San Diego, had an absolute home run with last year's draft. Let's let's just fire off some of these names here. Joey Bosa was exactly what you would think a best player in the draft should be. It was dominant, ten and a half sacks, probably don't even do it justice. He was exactly what they hoped he would be once he was healthy. Hunter Henry, legit. Joshua Perry got on the field. Jatavis Brown uh, was was a big player for them. Played a ton of snaps. They even got their punter in Drew Kayser. I mean, gosh, this was a great draft for the San Diego Chargers. Now it's the Los Angeles Chargers. Mel, can they do it again? Where are they going at seven? Well, protecting Phillip Rivers is uh, front and center, so an offensive tackle, but it's too early for that. Getting another weapon at wide receiver. Keenan Allen has not obviously been able to stay healthy. Um so a wide receiver, too early for that. Then you look, did he go safety? Did he go with a Malik Hooker? It's, it's Jamal Adams there at that point. Probably not. So a team that really doesn't have positional need working in unison with where the best players are in this draft. So, uh, you know, again, here's a team that at seven could look to move down a little bit unless they feel that, hey, you know, the safety from Ohio State's a guy to look at there. If they want an offensive lineman, you move down. If you want a wide receiver, you probably move down a little bit. So it's just, it just doesn't work great for the Chargers in terms of, I think, their two top needs not being guys that necessarily you would consider at that point. Yeah, I mean, safety you could make a, an argument for, though. I mean, I, I, think, I think Malik Hooker was – that's a position that right there, if Malik Hooker's there, Jamal Adams, why wouldn't you? No, Eric me, Weddle, it just makes it's sense. time. Yeah, get that, uh, get that next great safety there. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to move down just about all the time, no, and get extra picks and all that. But if they can't, I think, yeah. uh, I think, and you know what? Let's give credit to Tom Telesco, the GM, and, and Kevin Kelly, their director of college scouting. They, they did a heck of a job last year, and it's starting to look like the last couple of drafts. Really, Jason – Jason Verrett from 2014, Melvin Gordon came on last year. It was a totally different back than his, his rookie year. And, and you just mentioned the whole 2016 class and what they got out of that group. So while quarterback in the long term is is an issue, and I think they need to really continue to, to work on the back end because this team has some good young players, but how long are they going to get – you know, play at the quarterback position. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah, I would say this, Todd. If, if Jamal Adams weren't there, and I think you're picking seventh, you got to get a guy that's fourth or fifth or sixth on your board. I don't think Hooker, for me, I have Hooker down the line a little bit. Where do you have Hooker on your board, Todd? I've got Hooker right now at number, I think, six? No, eight overall. 
Eight overall. I like him at 14. So you like him a little more than I do. You're picking seventh. Right. I don't think you take a guy beyond the seventh. So uh, they would have to have a higher grade on Hooker than that, and I don't know if they do. I think Jamal Adams isn't going to fall that far. Probably not. That's why I think, you know, you look at offensive line, nobody to consider. Wide receiver right now doesn't look like anybody to consider. So that's, again, where do you stretch it a little bit or do they push? I, I can't justify Hooker as the sixth, fifth best player in this draft. I can't. But if they can, then they would take him. The Carolina Panthers. Capping these uh, five through eight picks here, the Carolina Panthers. Now, at this time last year, the Carolina Panthers still had a guy named Josh Norman around. So when they drafted Vernon Butler, a good defensive tackle prospect out of Louisiana Tech, and James Bradbury, James Bradbury, you we were thinking of a guy that would be serving a little bit of an apprenticeship behind Norman, would just be thrust into a role right away. Needless to say, when Norman... Shiptown. The first half of the season really for Carolina was wrecked by bad secondary play. Now, Cam Newton obviously took a step back from an MVP campaign, but the defense, which has really been old reliable for the Carolina Panthers the last few years and largely brought them to a Super Bowl, took a step back last year. But towards the end of the season, they, it started to come together. A guy like Bradbury really started to step up. The interesting thing now is that they go into this draft not only with the number eight pick, but they may, they might actually be able to do something in free agency last year after a few years where they've basically just been in cap jail, haven't been able to do anything. So will be an interesting draft and really free agency for Dave Gettleman. Um, Todd, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you just look at what they need? Uh, I think offensive tackle is, is one of the positions. Yeah. I think when you look at, you know, Michael Ord, is he playing at a level that's worthy right now? And, and how long can he can he continue to if, if you think he's worth it? And Mike Remmers, the right tackle, um, he's, he's an unrestricted free agent. Then you go to defense, you've got defensive end. Charles Johnson is a free agent. Kwan Short is. Star Latulule is back. They drafted Vernon Butler, as you said, a year ago. Uh, Thomas Davis, can he continue to play at, at a high enough level? And is it time to start looking at, at a – weak side linebacker that you draft maybe in the second, third, fourth round. So I think there's some different spots. And wide receiver's another one, too. Kelvin Benjamin didn't play the way he he played as a rookie last year. Can he kind of get back into form? Can Devin Funches start to contribute? Ted Ginn's an um, unrestricted free agent as well. So I think offensive tackle, receiver, defensive end, and then also the running back situation, because Jonathan Stewart, with the cap money that, that he's carrying, uh, it wouldn't shock me if he wound up being a, a cap casualty. And that's where Leonard Fournette or Dalvin Cook at this point could make a little bit of sense. Yeah, I would agree, Todd, on that. I think Taco Charlton, if you want the pass rusher uh, at the defensive end spot, to pick number eight over the running back, whether it be Fournette if he were even there or Cook. Uh, you would look maybe at the defensive end. Again, with same thing we talked about with the Jets and we talked about with Tennessee. No wide receiver, no offensive lineman necessarily to consider at that point. Maybe a wide receiver at eight if they do test extremely well. But I think it will fall defensive end or running back for Carolina. Well, we hit five through eight. And in a moment, after a break, we are going to jump to your mail. As always, if you want in, Twitter. Hashtag first draft. Just ask the question. We'll pick it up. We have the mail, and sadly, it's going to be a Baltimore-free session. Uh, as oh, There we go. As uh, Todd is here to take the questions, and uh, 
as uh, Mel has been kicked to the curb. Um, I just I had had enough. Yeah, it was time. That's all I could take. <laughs> Let's see here, Todd. We got a pile of stuff here. You know, there's been a the questions I keep seeing that come to me occasionally. So many questions about McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey. I think. You know, you always get more questions on the offensive players, but it seems like it's just really stacking up this year. Everybody wants this guy in their offense. Anybody who saw, you know, him versus, say, Iowa in last year's Rose Bowl and just going crazy, they 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 think of a player that can do anything. And there's a couple questions on him. Here's one of them, in Packers land. And the Packers, one team that McCaffrey's been mocked to between you and Mel, um, ask this, when I see McCaffrey, I see a guy who seems to run past defenders but never over them. Will his style translate to the NFL? I guess essentially saying, can this guy handle NFL contact? What do you think? I think he can. I think, you know, I, I don't think that his greatest strength is breaking tackles. I do think he, he does a good job. He's a little bit more compact and, and packed, uh, tightly packed than you think. And he, and he does break a good amount of arm tackles, but he's not a guy that's going to lower his shoulder and, and run over defenders and, and consistently at the NFL level be breaking tackles as his game. Now, he's, he's got quickness. He's got agility. I think he has great vision. I think one area that he, that he is really improving is with his patience and vision. And, um, you know, he's almost like his run style. I'm not comparing the two, but Le'Veon Bell obviously is now known as the most patient runner in the history of the world. Yeah. Um, but, but I think his run style is a little bit like Le'Veon Bell's, where he just he's so relaxed and patient and waiting, and once he sees it, then he goes. Uh, and I, I think that he's that's just kind of the back that he is, and I the versatility that you bring. I don't know that he's. Devontae Freeman in terms of quickness and agility, but I do think he's got some of that that shake and acceleration off of his cuts. And I also think when it comes to catching the football and then what he can offer in the return game if you want to use him in that role, I think there's there's just a lot to be had with McCaffrey. I know he's going to work hard. I know he loves the game and the intangibles and all that are there. So it, he'll be a safe pick, even if he's a late first-round pick. I think he's a guy that can do enough things, and the team that drafts him is going to have a plan for him and ways to get the football in his hands. You know, Todd, it's funny because people ask the question, oh, can this guy, you know, can this guy handle contact? But, you know, to your point, he caught, okay, he caught 45 passes in 2015 in limited action. He missed a little bit of time this last year. He caught 37. So you're talking about a guy that caught almost 90 passes uh, at Stanford over the last two years and, no offense to Stanford football, they do a great job, but it hasn't exactly been a run of amazing quarterback in the last two years. So he's he's done some of these things where he's catching the football, and that shows how elusive he can be. You know, if he can get off coverages, uh, you know, find some space. So it's not just about, you know, being physical enough for the NFL because this guy's game translates to other positions as well. Yeah, and I think his biggest negative is is, is pass protection. I, you know, when it, when you look for a weakness, but I I just think because of the player that he is, more often than not, you're going to be releasing him out to catch the ball or working him in the slot. I mean, he's he's a good enough route runner that I think he can he can line up in multiple spots and go catch passes. Hey Todd, just just for mine, McCaffrey, could you compare him? 
because this is another guy that people are going to be talking a lot about, especially probably after he works out. But Curtis Samuel, uh, a, again, a, a space player at Ohio State. Where? Do, how does him and McCaffrey compare? And, you know, because Samuel's probably more likely looking at the second round, but he's been a guy that's literally, you know, depending on the draft analyst you talk to, you could have him at running back one day and wide receiver the next and be thinking about it. Yeah, the three guys that you're going to see in the first few rounds come off the board that, that are kind of similar in terms of the versatility. McCaffrey, uh, Alvin Kamara from Tennessee, who I just watched his tape, and there are some question marks in certain areas, and he's not overpowering, but he bounces off of a lot of guys. And he never had more than 18 carries in a game, but he can catch the ball and, and really natural pass catcher and explosive. I mean, he's one. he's up there with – I would say close to Dalvin Cook in terms of explosives. So there's a lot to like there. And then Curtis Samuel, to me, is a notch below. A little bit more receiver than he is running back. Almost uh, like a Tavon Austin, Percy Harvin type. I don't think as explosive and twitchy as as those two. But he, he has that elusiveness and quickness that you look for. So I think he'll, for me, he's more of a slot receiver prospect than he is a running back. And you've got to figure out how you're going to use him and what the expectation is for Curtis Samuel. But he's got some playmaking ability. He's very dangerous with the ball in his hands. He can get down the field a little bit better than I expected, even though he's a small target um, in the vertical passing game. But he he does a good job tracking the ball. And, and, uh, again, versatility is going to be the key, and you've got to be willing to be creative with him, knowing that he's not a guy that you're going to turn around and hand the ball to 15, 20 times a game. Todd. If the yes. Pats get a second-day pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe even a late first-round pick, say it's from the Texans, say at 25, Terrence Rose at T. Rose Viper 13 asks, if they get another pick, how sweet would it be to have O.J. Howard in that offense? Well, first of all, I'm not giving away Garoppolo for anything less than a one, and I mean an early one. I'm talking about, like, Cleveland's one overall, wow, or San Fran's two overall, or Chicago's three overall, and then uh, I don't know a, a third or fourth, maybe even se- second or third, and and otherwise it's just not worth it. Now I know you're going to have to pay the piper and figure out what you want to do with Brady moving forward, yeah. and and could you wind up in a situation where Brady is going to retire in a couple of years and you just can't afford to play Garoppolo, and now you've got to kind of start over? Yes, but. What happens if Brady gets injured next year? Now, all of a sudden, you still have a chance to make a run at a Super Bowl. with the. And I know it's a very small sample size, what we've seen from Garoppolo, but they've loved him from day one. And he, he's got something, and, and they think he can be the next Patriot starter for a decade plus. So I don't know that you give that up. If you have an internal belief in that building that you've got your next quarterback there, I don't know that you give that up. And I think, it'll, you know, when... When it could blow up is when he's getting offered more money than you can afford to pay in free agency at the end of next year, and he winds up going to another team. And as I said, if Brady winds up retiring two years from now, then you're stuck. But I would I would roll the dice unless I got an offer that I just simply could not refuse. You know, the funny thing about Garoppolo is I hear people are like, wow, a first-round pick is just so rich for him. And the Patriots are going to counter it and say, hold on, we thought this guy was worth a second-round pick when we had what we assumed was three or four more good years of arguably the best quarterback who's ever lived. 
So don't tell us that he's not worth a first-round pick because we put that value on him at that point. I mean, it's amazing because, you know, yeah, you do have to talk yourself into it, but if it's the opportunity to take Garoppolo or, say, you know, the mystery meat of one of the quarterbacks in this draft in the first round, I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's that crazy an argument to make, the one that you just made. So here's another quarterback question, Todd. Usain Boris asks, at Usain Boris, Pat Mahomes is rising, obviously, in the QB height department. How early could he go? I'm not as high on Mahomes as, as some others. and I, Maybe I, I haven't watched the right tape or enough tape. or I'm not sure why there's such a disconnect between me and, and a lot of other maybe people. Maybe you've watched to too Mahomes. much uh, Texas Tech and Baylor tape. <laughs> yeah. um, I just think with Mahomes... I see, yes, he's got, he has adequate size. He's probably going to be around 6'2". He's thickly built, 230 pounds. He has a good arm. He can make all the throws. There's no question about it. I, from everything I hear, he's an intelligent player. Like, he'll pick up things quickly and, and all of that. But he's coming from an air raid offense, which has never had a quarterback have sustained success in the NFL. Started, you know, Tim Couch in 1999. Jared Goff will see where his career goes, but it's not off to a good start as the first over. Those two, two first overall picks and then a bunch of guys in between. So limited verbiage, minimal pre-snap responsibility for the quarterback, setting up protections, checks, kills, all the other things. Small play uh, playbook that they, they're working off of in a primary really shotgun spread offense. So he's got to make that transition. And then the accuracy is just not anywhere near where it needs to be. Now, he, the interesting part with him is he actually makes more completions and, and is more accurate than you would think given his his mechanics and footwork, which is just terrible. So what you happen to look at is a three- or four-year project. You say, all right, he's got enough mobility. He's got kind of the it factor. He has the the arm strength that we're looking for, but we know we have to, have to both physically and mentally kind of reshape this player, and it's going to take at least, at least two years. My guess would be a little bit longer. So that's why he's he's a project and he's a polarizing prospect because he, he put up such big numbers and I know his dad is a major league baseball player and, and we've known about this kid for a few years but I, I think right now you have to look at him at earliest in my opinion as a third round pick that you're developing long term but I, I've heard some people talk about him possibly as high as the second round well you know and, and one thing I mean we mentioned Garoppolo but there's been a trend. I mean, Andy Reid's done it a couple times in, in previous years where the late second round is not a bad place for a team to take a quarterback when they don't need one. Uh, because you feel like some of the, you know, some of the worst teams um, are going to take a quarterback maybe in early round three. But, I mean, Todd, you mentioned this last week. You know, something that stood out to me uh, as I was just looking over the draft the last five years. The last five years, with Tom Brady as their quarterback, the Patriots have taken more quarterbacks than the Chicago Bears have in the last five years with Jay Cutler. You know, Cutler is the classic guy you always assume uh, you're going to move on from. But, you know, I, I'm sure, I don't know, You maybe if you heard it on Twitter, I heard some people say, well, how could, how could Todd say just take a quarterback every year at some point? You didn't say take one in round one or round two. And I no. kind of wanted to clarify that and, point and, and a little maybe, bit. And maybe if it's maybe it's free agency too. Yeah, but, you know, maybe you bring in an undrafted free agent, like a if a Josh Dobbs goes undrafted this year, bring in that guy. But Jacoby Brissett last year, you're right for the Patriots in the third round pick. Uh, you ended go up back needing two, 
<laughs> yep, Jimmy Garoppolo in 2014. And like you said, with, with the quarterback situation that they have, so that's two quarterbacks in three years. And a Hoyer they got as a free agent. Ryan Mallant they brought in in 2011. So now you're talking about 30, 40, 50, 60. In six years, they've drafted three quarterbacks. And I know they brought, I'm pretty sure, I, I almost want to guarantee it. Let's say I'm 90% sure they brought in at least one free agent quarterback in the years where they didn't draft one. So you got to keep taking your hacks, man. The GM told me that once, and I'll never forget. You just, at that position, you just have to keep on taking, taking your cuts at the, at the plate because you just never know when you're going to hit on a guy. And it's hard to tell because there's so many variables of that position until you get them into camp and you start really working with them, not a 15-minute interview or a one day with, with 20 other players that are in, in town, but really working with them, putting them in the, the quarterback room and then seeing what he picks up on and getting them down to the field and, and what, you know, how that transitions and can he, can he get something from the board from watching tape and, and make it work in the practice field and then in games. So, to me, why not? I just I think it's that position is so important in this league, and it makes up for more sins than any other position. That you just you have to keep taking your hacks at it. You know, and to cap that point, I mean, the other thing is is that you know people tend not to realize there's always this huge emphasis on quarterbacks, and but people tend not to realize these guys that you get in the sixth or seventh round. I mean, only fifty percent of those guys, maybe fifty fifty five percent make the team from round six to seven. Yeah, maybe they make the practice squad, but generally just speaking, make the team. So right off the top, you're talking about a coin flip to see if those guys make the team at all. In those, yeah, I don't even know if, that, if it's that high. I yeah, would be surprised. I, may, I might you're be being generous. man roster, I, I would bet it's closer to 20%. Yeah, so the point being, why not use one of those picks on a guy that has a chance to, you know, again, it's the lottery ticket mentality and we'll point to Tom Brady forever, and that's going to be an unfair thing. But again, that was just, you know, take a quarterback. Yeah, there's a lot take of quarterbacks, quarterbacks, and you see what there's happens. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the league that are backups that have won, come in and won games, yep. and everyone overlooks it long term, but it wound up being drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. So yeah, and left and, guards and don't come in and win backup. a game for you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, let's see one other one, just because we haven't talked about trading down much, but. You know, we talked about the Jets a little bit earlier in this podcast where you could just you could fire off five or six needs right away. Another team I think about where you could easily do that is what Kyle Shanahan is now assessing, which is the 49ers who are going to be that be that at two. Todd, do you see now last year, you know, people always say, "Ah, eh, trade won't happen." Last year the first two picks in the draft were traded. Mm-hmm. And so teams there there's very clear values finances, everything associated with these picks. There's no longer holdouts or anything. These picks, you know, you can get a dance partner. They're not that hard to trade in terms of figuring out the value. So a couple questions have come in on this. Anthony at APIN11 asked me, how realistic is it for a team like the Niners to trade down this year? And I think he's saying that based on the fact that there's no clear, you know, Andrew Luck type can't miss quarterback to go up and get. Well, that's the problem is uh, oftentimes when you're talking about the first few picks and teams trading up to go get someone, it's, it's for a quarterback. Those first two picks that were traded last year were for teams that wanted to come up and, and get Goff and Wentz. And so I think San Francisco would be, if they were looking to trade out of that spot, they'd be doing so with the mindset that there's not a quarterback worth drafting at number two. 
And so maybe we can move down, get additional picks, and like you said, address the multitude of needs that we have on this team. Uh, but but maybe also get down to a spot where we feel more comfortable. But is the team moving up going to go up and, and get a quarterback, or you know, is there just not a team that's interested because there's not a quarterback to go up and get? So I think that the market last year was different, I guess, in that um, one of the teams trading out didn't didn't have a massive need at quarterback and. Cleveland did and, and moved out and and um, but they they just yeah, didn't think Tennessee, the value was Tennessee there. Tennessee moving out had Mariota, so it was just like, right. Exactly, yeah. they had Mariota, and then Cleveland just didn't think that that Wentz or Goff were worth picking it at that number two spot. So, uh, to me, you know, you're you're stuck up there. If you like one of those quarterbacks, you take them, and if not, you got to be ready for the the possibility that there's not going to be a team that wants to move up for that pick this year because they probably have the same evaluation on these quarterbacks. Yeah, and it, it's a strange draft like that because you think of just building block pieces. Quarterbacks, usually one, you might trade up for that. Offensive tackles are, can be building block pieces. We saw a draft you know, four years ago now where three of the top four picks were tackles. This year we don't know if there's going to be one inside the top 20. Um, and obviously, no, three, you know, of, three of the best, three of the strongest positions in this year's draft are positions that typically are not considered to be, you know, the most important in terms of positional value. That's yep. running back, safety, and tight end. Yep. You know, no, I mean, now corner, cornerbacks really strong, and and guys, you know, there's there's a, a lot of guys wind up going the first couple of rounds. There's pass rushers inside and outside. Uh, wide receivers not all that strong. So wide receiver, quarterback. Offensive tackle are three of the probably weakest positions in terms of what we normally see at the top of the board in a given year, and and they're just they're just not not as good as normal, and and so the the positional value is not going to be what we normally see. I think I think there's going to be a lot more like safeties, running backs, and tight ends that wind up going even inside linebacker with Reuben Foster in the top fifteen twenty picks than than we've seen in recent years. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you can imagine a team, you know, moving up for a quarterback, moving up for the tackle they need to say, you know, for because they have a great quarterback. But you don't see people moving up for safeties, moving up for you know right. even corners and things like that because corners, you know, that's a tough first year in most cases. It'll it'll be an interesting draft, um, and we will continue with this next week. I guess maybe we'll all be in Indy at this point next week. We'll figure it out on what day we're doing it. Um, but uh, that's it for today. We we got through the top offensive players at each position. We'll hit defense next week. Of course, we also hit Titans, Jets, Chargers, and Panthers. We'll have four more next week. I don't have the draft order in front of me. I have no idea. Uh, but we'll get to it next week. And uh, I don't know. I kind of like this Kuiper free mailbag. It's nice. It's been, nice. It's, it's, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Thanks for listening to First Draft. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash PodCenter.